We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It is now 8.08 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Sherilyn Steele. And I have to tell you, there's so much going on in the news in this particular uh, half hour. We're talking about the pandemic and how how it has unfortunately led to more and more drug use. And the recent statistics of 100,000 overdose deaths has many concerned. Now, among them is William Moyers Jr., the Vice President of Public Affairs and Community Relations for Hazelden. Welcome, sir. It's so nice to have you join us tonight. Thanks for having me on, Gerilyn. You know, here's the thing, sir. We know that um, we've been seeing a lot uh, out on the streets in the morning, afternoons, and even in the evening and late night. We have been seeing so many people walking, and you can see uh, here in the Twin Cities, um, right outside in front of you if you're at a stop sign at 9 o'clock at night in St. Paul or Minneapolis, and you can see a drug uh, deal go down. Yet we are hearing 100,000 overdose deaths have a lot of people concerned. Why is the, the How are the drugs so easily put in the hands of the addicts? Well, Gerilyn, that's a good question. And we at Hazel and Betty Ford have focused on that for, you know, many, many years. We've been around since 1949. Um, this year is particularly noteworthy in terms of our mission, because as you noted, uh, the CDC uh, says that 100,000 people died of accidental overdose in this country between April of 20 and April of 21. And, you know, mm-hmm. Joe, and a lot of people have a, have a sense that, you know, people die of drug overdoses on the street or in a bad drug deal on the corner. But the reality is this. Many, many people in this country um, get their drugs legally. They get them from their pharmacy. They get them from their doctor prescribed for a legitimate or, or less than legitimate uh, reason pain, um, uh, you know, whether it's an acute uh, pain or, or chronic pain. And too often, uh, people begin to use these prescriptions um, responsibly, but very quickly get overtaken by these substances. And so what we at Hazel and Betty Ford have seen is that, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. And it doesn't matter if you're on the street and homeless or whether you're living in a comfortable house in the suburbs. Um, if, uh, if that drug gets into your body and your body processes it differently um, than it does the majority of people in this country who can use uh, substances responsibly, then suddenly you find yourself caught in the grip of addiction. And when it comes time to stop, that becomes difficult for some people. And the next thing you know, they're, they're hooked on that substance, opioid, opioids, of course, being the, the big driver of that. And before you know it, you have the tragedy that you talked about, 100,000 people dying of, an over, of overdoses in this country in the midst of this pandemic. That's 275 every day. And in Minnesota, Gerilyn, 
Uh, we ranked number 36 in overdose deaths during that period. Wisconsin ranks uh, number 27. The fact of the matter is, is addiction is everybody's problem, and that's why it also needs to be everybody's solution. Exactly. You know, we all hear that NIMBY, not in my backyard. And of course, we know that it's in our backyard, whether we know it or not. And so knowing that Hazelden has done an amazing job um, with your statistics of how people are recovering or how people are are getting out into uh, having life and they're they're. they're growing, they're, they're getting better and better. At the same time, we also know that the numbers are increasing so much around this country that I'm not sure we even have the partners necessary to address it. It's not just the CDC. We need so many more partners to address this. Do you agree? Absolutely. And in fact, our new president and CEO, Dr. Joseph Lee, has talked precisely about the importance of organizations like Hazel and Bay Ford, partnering in communities uh, across the Twin Cities, whether it's Turning Point, the Twin Cities Recovery Project, Project Turnabout, um, all the other, you know, good treatment providers in this, con- in this county, uh, Hennepin and Ramsey County, and across Minnesota. We at Hazel and Betty Ford, we, as I mentioned, we've been doing this for a long time in Minnesota and elsewhere, but we, but we treat only a small fraction of all the people that need help. And so it's important that we lift up other people, not just at Hazel and Betty Ford, but that we lift up other people through all these other great missions of these organizations. And so collaborating uh, on the solution, which is to get people into treatment, treat them appropriately, and then give them the recovery support. That is the key. Absolutely. So then where do we go from here? We know that it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Um, we don't hear much about um, the uh, officers, the the a Coast Guard and those that can stop those giant barges from showing up with all of this this illegal drugs, all of these illegal drugs. And a lot of it is easily made. People know how to create it and get it. We've had pharmacies try to keep stuff behind, locked up so that people couldn't get it over the counter. And that isn't even enough. Where do we go from here? Well, we do. Listen, what we're doing right now, talking about it, is critical. Uh, partnering Hazel and Betty Ford and WCCO, for example, getting the word out there, emphasizing the fact that, as we know at Hazel and Betty Ford, addiction doesn't discriminate, and neither should recovery and access to care is critical. Expanding access, access to care is making sure that when somebody asks for treatment or when somebody needs treatment, they get that treatment. Um, we, we also need to emphasize the fact that, yes, 100,000 people in this country died of accidental overdose this last year. But guess what? A lot of people also recover from addiction. I'm a prime example of it. I came from Minnesota out to, uh, from New York out to Minnesota in 1989 to begin my recovery process through treatment at Hazelden. Um, never could I have imagined 30 years later that I would still be in this great recovery state of Minnesota working for the organization that treated me. My recovery journey hasn't been perfect, but the point of it is, is here I am. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a citizen. I'm a listener of CCO. I'm a fan of the Vikings. I'm a parent. I'm, I'm, I'm an employee, employer, employer. And, you know, I, I, I show up every day. The fact of the matter is, is that addiction, as I said, is an illness that doesn't discriminate. Recovery should discriminate either. And if we expand access to care, guess what happens? People recover and they recover in mass. And we need to emphasize the fact that while addiction is a chronic disease and, and while it's one that can't be cured yet, it can be treated. 
treatment works and recovery is possible. So if one of your listeners this evening, Gerilyn, is listening and struggling with addiction, we always emphasize it's never too late to ask for help. Don't wait. If you or a loved one are struggling, go ahead. There is access to care out there at Hazelwood and other places. Just ask for help and you will get that help. So that's the key right there. We've had some challenges even on the streets um, of some of the suburbs, you know, where there are people who are looking for drugs. They're asking for money so they can buy drugs often. And, you know, in, in certain communities, we've always thought the rural areas is where we saw a lot of those that were suffering from um, overdose and uh, drugs, trying different ways to get as high as they can. And they are looking, you know, they want to recover. I've talked to some who had recovered. They fell off for a moment, but they went right back in and said, hey, I've got to get better. And so you're right. At 100,000 people, it sounds like a shocking number. It's 330 million of us in America. So if we look at it in that sense, we think maybe we're winning. Maybe we're doing better. Is that where we should look and say, let's do better together? Or do we look and say, no, it's just too bad right now. We're not doing enough. It's a great question, Gerilyn. I think we can always do more. Of course we can. But listen, if we focus on the problem, guess what? We focus on the problem. But if we talk about the solution, we get people in recovery and their families to stand up and speak out. Then we begin to highlight not the problem, but the solution. The fact of the matter is, is that addiction is like any other chronic disease. It can be treated. Not everybody is going to recover. And yes, if one person dies of an accidental overdose, it's too many. But we do know that you know, for every person that dies or gets caught up in the grip of addiction, there's another person who recovers from it. And so we've got to emphasize the fact that treatment does work and recovery is possible. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a farmer in Albert Lee or whether you're living in the inner city of Minneapolis. Um, this is a problem that, that, that doesn't discriminate. And, and, and yet the solution is one that, that is available and, and workable for all people. So we've really got to partner. We at Hazel and Betty Ford know we can't do this by ourselves. It's that simple. We're not the cure-all for everybody, but we're one of many good treatment providers, um, you know, providing access to care, making sure that people can use their insurance to, to get treatment and, and get recovery support. We have an organization in Minnesota called Minnesota Recovery Connection, um, it's a recovery community organization that's offering lots and lots of resources for people who've been through treatment programs, whether they're public programs or private programs. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that once somebody gets treatment, they get on the road of recovery, then they've got to manage their recovery. And, you know, just in the same way that addiction is an illness of isolation, recovery is a, is a community experience. It's people coming together. And so we've got to encourage people who, who are in recovery to stick together through this pandemic, through this epidemic of, of substance use, and also to, to help others at the same time. That's why at Hazel and Betty Ford, part of our advocacy effort is about getting people to stand up and speak out and say, this is what recovery looks like. No matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, recovery is possible. Yet there are many, many people recovering. We don't even know that they're recovering. Is it more important for us to know, should a person come forward and say, yes, I am recovering and I'm doing well, you know, pray for me. Should we hear that? Should we ask those personal questions? Or are we still, many of us want to stand back and go, oh, I'm not going to ask that question. It might embarrass them. 
Well, you know what? It's, it, to, to each his own. You know, I'm a public advocate. I've worked for Hazel and Betty Ford for 25 years. My, my primary um, responsibility has been to stand up and to speak out on these issues. And I do it from my own experience as a man in long-term recovery. And I also do it from my professional uh, expertise as working for an organization like Hazel and Betty Ford. We have been working for years along with other organizations, as I said, Twin Cities Recovery Project uh, uh, and other programs, uh, Minnesota Recovery Connection, to, to, to walk for recovery, to stand up at Twins games, to talk to the media, and to put an accurate face, not just on the problem, but exactly on the solution. Because when we do stand up and speak out, guess what? We look like everybody else. And I think in the same way that people with HIV AIDS, in the same way that people who struggle with depression, in the same way that women with breast cancer all stood up and spoke out, well, we who are recovering from uh, addiction to alcohol and other drugs, we have that same obligation and that same opportunity. Let's talk about policies. We, you and I both know when it comes to the politics of all of it, um, I don't feel we're getting enough done. Where, are, where do you see us standing with our leaders uh, in this country, um, their districts, you know, the people that they serve? So many of our states see this. They see the, the abuse. They see the need. Are we passing the bills that are necessary to tackle this? Oh, it's a good question. I could I, I could talk to you for an hour about this. I'm very passionate because I've been around uh, since the days when in, insurance companies did not cover addiction on par with other chronic illnesses. We changed that in 2008. And by the way, it was a bipartisan effort in Congress that it was a Republican president, George Bush, that signed that legislation into law in 2008. And then two years later, under President Obama, we got uh, addiction covered in the Affordable Care Act. At Hazel and Betty Ford, we know that addiction is a bipartisan illness that demands a bipartisan solution. And it doesn't matter if you're from a red state or a blue state, a red county or a blue county. The fact of the matter is, is that addiction is the number one public health crisis in this country. We know it is at Hazel and Betty Ford, and it's a public health crisis that demands a public health response. And it takes Republicans. It takes Democrats. It takes governors. It takes state legislatures to realize that this is not an issue that uh, is going to over, be overcome by dividing and conquering. We've got to stand together and do the things that we know are right, not just in terms of right public policy, but right public health. When we do that, guess what? People, whether they vote for Trump or vote for Biden, whether they you know, vote for Walls or vote for whomever he's running against, the fact of the matter is, is that when we put aside the politics of this country that oftentimes is way too divisive, as you know, and, and, and embrace the totality of community. When we take a community approach to addiction, then we can solve it and we can make sure that people behind bars, people on, in rural areas or people in the inner city or the quiet suburbs, that when they need help, they can get that help for addiction. And by the way, one more thing, this war on drugs that we were fighting in this country for 250 years, it has failed. And I think policymakers from both sides of the aisle, including the Biden administration now, everybody realizes that you can't fight our way out of this problem because, number one, it's a public health issue. And number two, it falls disproportionately on people of color who are locked up behind bars for relatively minor or minor drug and alcohol offenses. 
we just try to fight our way out of this problem by locking people up and not treating them, then we're always going to have the problem. And I think, or we know at Hazel and Betty Ford, that policymakers are, they definitely are seeing this as a bipartisan problem that demands a bipartisan solution. Final question. Those that are listening tonight, they may sit up and go, oh, there's, there's something I can do. I, I, there's got to be something I can do. What would you suggest? Well, number one, thank you for, for that question. Number one, if you're struggling with a substance use issue, ask for help. It is okay to ask for help. The only bottom with this illness is death. And anything short of that is a way out. So if you're struggling with a legal or an illegal drug, ask for help. Number two, if you're a family member who is, who's being roiled by addiction in your family, there is help available. And whether you're a mom or a dad, a grandparent, a spouse, a sibling, be that conduit between the person who is struggling and that solution. You can call Hazel and Betty Ford. You can call Minnesota Recovery Connection. You can call the Minnesota Department of Human Services, and you can get those, those resources. And number three, embrace the reality that while addiction doesn't discriminate and neither should recovery, the fact of the matter is, is that we all have a responsibility to stand up and speak out and talk about this from our own experience, because not only do we want to put an accurate face on the problem and the solution, but when somebody like me stands up and speaks out, for example, on your program, guess what? People ask for help. They find that permission, that little nudge they need to ask for help. And so if you're a person in recovery, share that experience so that you can help somebody else along the way. It has been such a pleasure having you on tonight, William Moyers, Jr. I do hope that I can talk with you again, and I hope that you and I both will witness the healing, witness a change, a huge change, um, because if we all participate in the um, solution, maybe we'll actually get there. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Take care. All right. That was William Moyers, Jr. He is the Vice President of Public Affairs and Community Relations for Hazelden. All right, I got to take a deep breath and we'll be back. It is now 829 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Still Talking. And as you just heard in my uh, discussion with um, the, our guests talking about drug abuse, the bottom line is that we all need to reassess um, what the signs of addiction really is. What does it look like? So here are a few that you may already know or may not know. Changes in personality and behavior like a lack of motivation, irritability, and agitation. How about bloodshot eyes and frequently bloody nose, uh, frequent bloody noses? There's shakes, tremors, or slurred speech would uh, definitely say this person could be addicted. Uh, change in their daily routines. I don't quite understand that one. How deep does that go? Um, what, could, what should we look for when it comes to daily routines? Lack of concern for personal hygiene. Unusual need for money, financial problems, and that sort of thing. These are just a few of the, the ways we can start to see and recognize. Don't ignore it. That's the bottom line is don't ignore it. I've had people that I love in my life that have had children addicted to drugs, and it is an amazing fight. But at the same time, the healing that happens, um, it's really remarkable. Uh, a lot of tears shed uh, because of the pain of the addiction and also a lot of tears shed because of the healing from the addiction. So even though you've heard about it, you probably think, oh, yeah, I see that. I hear it all the time. But stay tuned. 
just know to watch your families, the community, families in your community, your neighbors, and make sure you stay on top of it. We all need to stay on top of that. All right, we're going to take a break, and weather is next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. Sometimes the other voice you hear is Jonathan Lowe, our in-studio producer. But I am really excited about this 835 guest because fresh off the heels of the 100th anniversary of the opening of the Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis, Fred Crone, credited with saving this historic stage, releases his first book, called Standing in the Wings, My Life on and Mostly Just Off Stage. This book traces his efforts to save and restore the Orpheum, the state, and the Pantages theaters. His experiences in booking concerts and Broadway shows, which have sustained the theater district for more than 40 years now. He's joining us to tell us all about the book and why he wrote it. How are you, Fred Crone? Oh, my gosh. How are you? (laughs) I'm so good. You know, just hearing your name, I smile. Um, You have, man, you are a a staple here in this uh, great state of Minnesota. So many know uh, what you accomplished on Hennepin Avenue. It's just remarkable with the state, the Orpheum, and, of course, Pantages Theaters. Now you've written written a book. Tell me what inspired you to do it, and how do you feel about it now? Well, I... uh... I when I retired in 2018, I had probably uh, 50 boxes full of files that were uh, for concerts I started to do in 1972, and continued to 2018. And uh, I went through them. I uh, sorted them all out. I donated them to the archives at the Elmer Anderson Arts Library. And uh, in going through them, I said, you know, there's some great stories here. I think I might. Uh, I might at least try a book. And then uh, we were all locked in our uh, homes and condos uh, for COVID. And during that time, I wrote the book. I am not surprised at that at all, sir. Uh, you are prolific uh, in all of your endeavors. And I can imagine that you are prolific in this writing of a book. Tell me how many pages did you get through? Uh, it's uh, almost 400 pages, including uh, a listing of every show uh, that I promoted uh, 
from 1972 to 2018 and uh, what the growth was and uh, what the venue was. It, it, it's kind of an interesting history of, uh, of the shows. And, of course, the Steels are on that list. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. We had some good times, man. And I I just want to say that in order for you to write this book, it must have changed you in some way, did it? I think it, uh, you know, it it certainly made me, uh, there were so many things I had forgotten, uh, some great stories that I had forgotten, and uh, it kind of brought those back uh, into really good focus for me. So uh, I I guess it changed me. I uh, I can't think of any other way, but uh, I, I feel uh, I feel good about the book and uh, hope it would be of interest to people. Well, because the Orpheum itself is so historic, as well as the State Theater and the Pantages Theaters, the bottom line is that people need to know the history. We have been losing a lot of our history in various states when it comes to theater and how Broadway, uh, the touring companies have been, um, you know, traveling for so many decades. And we start to learn that, wow, we have been unique in this here in Minnesota. Can you tell us a little bit how you see us being unique in your efforts? Well, I, I, I think the, the the main thing is that all three of the uh, the Hennepin Avenue theaters were very much threatened with demolition, and uh, there were tipping points in each where uh, where they were able to be saved, and and that's you know part of the lore of uh, of the history of these three theaters. You know, the the Orpheum was uh, decaying on Hennepin Avenue in the early '70s, and I tried forty or fifty different business people to see if I could persuade them to invest some money in it. And uh, I had uh, Joe Papp uh, lined up to bring a chorus line in if I could find someone to uh, to fix the Orpheum up. And nobody nobody went for it except for Bob Dylan. And uh, wow. that's one of, that's one of the, the main stories. Uh, I, I think if Bob Dylan wouldn't have stepped up and... and uh, expressed interest in owning and operating and uh, and producing shows in the Orpheum early on that that would probably be a parking lot or a uh, some kind of condo development now so, so tell me and, and, and the ahead. same for the state Right. Now, the state has been, um, Minnesota, we are so grateful for all that you did. And, of course, theater is so big here uh, to know that Lion King, you know, was really put to work here. (laughs) And so we can actually say it happened in Minnesota first. World premiere. World premiere, man. That's a big deal. And it's it's the the most successful uh, Broadway show in Broadway history, both in terms of grosses and in terms of attendance. So we uh, in the Twin Cities can be justly proud of uh, of having Lion King uh, here before anyone. So here you are. You have your family that's learning all that you had, you know, maybe displaced at one time in your memory. And now you're going, oh, well, oh, that's right. I did that. I did this. What are you hearing from the children? What are you hearing from your family about writing this book? You know, they uh, they were all, in a way, part of it. I can remember my uh, my sister Lisa, who now is uh, is booking the theaters in my place now that That's I've retired. Right. Uh, when she was about ten years old, I gave her a bunch of roses and told her, "Run up the aisle at, at O'Shaughnessy Auditorium and and hand them to Miss Fitzgerald, Miss Ella Fitzgerald," and she did that and. Uh, to this day, uh, it's a it's a major memory for her. But uh, 
you know, there there were some amazing artists that I was privileged to work with, and uh, and uh, many of them, but many stories are in this book that uh, that I share with uh, readers. Did you share the many changes of how you bring um, these incredible shows to the cities, uh, whether they're tours or um, what have you? But how how is it different from when you used to do it and you were booking the shows? Now it's the technology is different, the way tickets are done, marketing is done. It's also different. It's also different, and, and the, the, the saddest part to me uh, is that uh, it's very corporate now. You know, there are... Uh, uh, not so much in the Twin Cities, but in many cities, the, uh, the the big giant conglomerates that I really feel don't really care much for the artists. They just care for the next quarter's uh, earnings. Uh, you know, they they've taken over so many parts of the uh, live entertainment industry, and uh, to the detriment, I think of uh, of uh, audiences. But uh, other than that, you, you know the. Uh, Ticketing. I used to I used to take hard tickets and take them over to Northrop Auditorium, and you know, then just before each show, I'd have to go and settle and count money in and and pick up the hard tickets. And then we'd put them in the you know. Now it's just uh, instantaneous with uh, with uh, with computer ticketing. Right. So it's uh, many changes have uh, have been for the better, and just a few have been to the detriment. I think. You've had so many um, employees that stuck with you for many, many years. I remember some of the technicians when the Steels would come in there and perform at the State Theater, and they were guys that had been there for 25, 35 years. Um, today, um, as you know, these theaters are really thriving, and do you still see any of them? Are some of them still around? Sure. I, I think uh, Dave Marietta was probably there the longest, but many of the uh, of the uh, the uh, IATSE union uh, people that that we uh, we had, it, it was it was it was a family uh, business kind of, and they uh, you know their father worked uh, for local thirteen, and then they worked, uh, and and it uh, you know it it just became uh, uh, something that was passed down, and and uh, and many of them. Uh, Many of them are still around. They're uh, they're retiring. Some of them, but uh, they were uh, great. And and the the nice thing is, we've been so successful that now they can make a full time living uh, from uh, from working at the theaters, which is uh, I think great. It's uh, it's uh, much needed. Have you ever considered in your lifetime doing this work, actually going and and buying up other theaters in other parts of Minnesota? You know it. It's uh, you need a certain of uh, you know size uh, of population to uh, to make them work. I've 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 uh, promoted shows. I did a, a tour with Dolly Parton years ago and went into Fargo and Grand Forks and a lot of the you know they'd have five hundred or six hundred seat theaters, but it's very difficult. You know you 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 want to bring uh, entertainment to those. Uh, towns but it it's it's very difficult and so i i've always found that uh, you know it's easier for me to have stuck to uh, to minneapolis st paul most of the time sadly you, i mean they're they're great theaters 
They are great theaters. It's amazing to me that you um, worked with union people, okay? So some people say, I don't want to work with union people. I just want my my theater to thrive without all of that. But you dealt with that. What do you see today that's going on when it comes to the union? Is it getting stronger or is it getting weaker when it comes to theaters? Well, I, I definitely think that in Minneapolis, Local 13, which is the IATSE union, I think is is very strong, mainly because we've had we've had uh, such success in bringing in uh, some of the uh, some of the long running Broadway, you know, Hamilton and Wicked, and some of the really long running shows that uh, that really give them a uh, a, uh, a full time living, you know. So, so I I, I think they're. Uh, and and they have they have technical skills that really uh you know the average person doesn't have and, and would be hard to develop so uh you know i i'm i'm uh, i've always i've always uh been been more than happy to work with uh, that kind of skilled uh, professional all three of your theaters, the Orpheum, the State, and Pantages, you have brought in concerts as well. You've brought in comedy. You've brought in so much. It wasn't just theater. You were known for bringing in the arts, period. Um, as we look around today, we are still seeing that, and that is something I hope will continue in this great state of Minnesota. Yet, we are also hearing about other states that are falling away from that. When they do theater, they just want to do the musicals. They want to do the popular shows like you talked about a moment ago. And so as we look and say, yeah, let's incorporate all of it, all that artists have to present. Um, is that the way to go? Do you hope that other theaters will, can, will keep doing that or encourage, be encouraged to do more of that? I think the reason the three theaters are so successful is that we, we have been able to bring in a wide, wide variety of uh, things, as you say, uh, and not just focus on on one, you know, there, there are a lot of Broadway theaters, and, and when there's no Broadway running, the theater is dark. And, and uh, our theory always was that uh, if people will buy tickets to any, a show and it won't uh, damage the theater or the audience, we're going to bring them in. So we've, uh, yeah, we've, we've if, if you look in the back of the book and, and look at the many, many shows that have come into the Twin Cities, it's quite amazing, the, uh, the wide variety. And finally, sir, I've tried to write a book. I've got about 70 pages of a book. And, you know, when you are reflecting on who you are and who you were, um, what did you learn about yourself? And, 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 and if you learned anything that you didn't know that you knew, um, how did you feel about it once you placed it in the book? You know, it's it's funny. I started thinking that it was going to be a really uphill battle and that it was going to, uh, you know, I'd have to rewrite it ten times. Uh, and I, it, it just, uh, once I had gone through the uh, files and, and was a little refreshed in, in knowing, uh, recalling what I had gone through back in the day, uh, I wrote it. I wrote it once, and it it uh, it was the right length. Uh, to fit in a nice book, and uh, you know, I, I had to rewrite a portions, but it was it was it was really much easier than I thought once I got going. And hopefully, you'll find that as well because I'd love to read your book. 
Well, I tell you, I'm terrified because I read it after three years of starting to work on it. And I thought to myself, oh, no, no, nope, I don't think I'm going to get through this. So we'll see. (laughs) But I am so happy that you wrote your story because your story is important to the great state of Minnesota and so many of the Broadway tours that have come through this state. We are known for our theaters, and you helped that. You were the one that gave so much of yourself to make sure that these theaters continue to thrive. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. It's really a pleasure, sir. Take care of yourself and write another one. Do a second uh, I sure do it. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate your call. You're talking. Thank you so much, Fred. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. That is Fred Cronin. And if you don't know who he is, I beg you to get this book. I'm going to get the book and read it. Um, I've known him for years. The Steels have known him for years and is part of his family. And it's been, you know remarkable what he's done. You know, was everything perfect? Never. It's never perfect in a business. It doesn't stay perfect. But I will tell you, this man worked really hard for the great state of Minnesota to be known for its theater and to have um, unbelievable theaters that could house such great talent, famous talent to come um, to town and perform in these spaces, not just theater, not just Broadway shows, but so much more. Congratulations to Fred Crone. A remarkable story indeed. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. It is now 8.53 here at WCC. Oh, my goodness, I enjoyed that interview. And I can just imagine how difficult it is to write a 400-page you know, autobiography, basically, about the life and times that you live. And many have done it over the centuries. And I still wonder what it's like to have to make the decision to take something out of the book that you felt very strongly about keeping it in. But maybe the editor or maybe your heart said, maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't talk about that in the book. Those are always things that are being challenged um, for new writers or writers that have been at it for a long time. A dear friend of mine is a prolific writer, Garrison Keeler, and I am blown away at how many books, how many books he has been writing during the pandemic. Really quite remarkable. And to know that Fred Crone did the same thing, 400 pages of his life, can't be easy, but it is necessary. It's something that we can all learn from. It's another piece of that history. You know, sometimes I'm with um, someone in my life and we're walking downtown and you see these buildings that have been there for a long time and all around them are the brand new buildings. And you say to yourself, wow, look at this old architecture. Look at how beautiful and outstanding it is. That's one of the things I love about Minnesota, especially St. Paul, who really holds on to its old buildings. They, they may renovate, they may, you know, fix it, um, but they don't have as many new buildings <laughs> in the downtown district of St. Paul as they do in Minneapolis. And I don't begrudge anyone for enjoying um, what, it, what the new buildings look like. I just really appreciate remembering and the times I didn't know all of these homes and buildings that really matter. Uh, It shows us what architecture was like during a different time and how strong those buildings are now compared to some of the buildings today, especially homes. So if you're considering writing (laughs) your memoirs, you know, there are plenty of people here in the great state of Minnesota that have written their own um, include, including Fred Crone and Garrison Keeler, and you can just read them and see, hey, can I write this for myself? And maybe you think nobody's going to ever read it, but maybe they will. Maybe a hundred years from now, it will be your memoir 
that changes things here on earth. You never know. You just never know. Okay, coming up next is all things arts and entertainment. We call it Center Stage. And we have some great guests lined up for you. Dr. Anton Armstrong from St. Olaf. He's part of, he's the head of the choir. Um, it is really quite amazing that Northfield at St. Olaf University or college, I'm sorry I don't have which one is correct, but I do want to talk about this St. Olaf holiday concert that is coming up. Um, this man is revered, Dr. Anton Armstrong, beloved uh, here in Minnesota, especially in Northfield, and I'm so excited to talk with him. Then, of course, at 923, we're going to have Peter Rothstein, and he's going to join me to talk about Steely Nah, which is really um, all about Silent Night. And this is about the Western Front, you know, Christmas 1914. You remember it, the Christmas Truce of 1914? And it features the talents of the Minneapolis-based cast and is directed by Peter Rothstein, who is just amazing himself. He's the artistic director, and we are going to talk a whole lot about theater, la-di-da, and this piece. Then at 9.33, Sarah Morris is going to join us. Yes, you know our friend Sarah. And I just love her album. She just does a great job and she has the 15th annual holiday show coming up. So this is really exciting. I'm excited to talk to her about that. At 9.50 is Mick Lunzer. Um, and we're going to talk about the Ellison Playhouse in Crystal and what's coming up there. And then the 10 o'clock hour is all about the Mom and Michael hour. My son, Michael Battle, will join me for an hour of fun. It is my favorite hour. And I thank you so much for sticking and staying with us from 7 o'clock at night on a Sunday night all the way to 11 p.m. All right, you guys. See you in just a second. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.